This morning we're looking at letters the Apostle Paul wrote to two of his protégés, Timothy and Titus. And Paul's example and the guidance God gives through these letters is typical of the examples and principles and guidance you find in Scripture. If you follow God's guidance, you gain a real advantage. What you find in these letters, in, in the overall context, is a very important principle in life. Picking your leaders is a major decision that impacts the quality of your life. When we decide who we're going to follow, we determine a trajectory in life that is going to set us on a path to good or to harm. And in the extreme, what some people do is they choose to follow a charismatic cult leader to their death. Here's a picture of Jim Jones, and it's even creepy just seeing this picture because the man in the picture, Jim Jones, was the leader of the People's Temple cult, that, and he led more than 900 followers to commit mass suicide on November 18th in 1978 by drinking cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. And this is where the phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid, comes from. And we use that phrase to refer to people blindly following a religious leader. And some people react to that, and they think, I'm not going to follow anybody ever again. And what you hear about Jim Jones and people like him is that he was a very gripping speaker, very charismatic, and he enthralled listeners to his sermons. And so some people decide, I'm not ever going to follow anyone. And and that's an option. But if you do that, if you make that choice, you miss out on the advantage of gaining the wisdom from a leader of character and competence. So the books that we're looking at today, First Timothy and Titus, They provide the profile of the leaders to follow. And God is very clear about the quality of leaders to select for his church, which gives us insight also into the kind of people that we should choose to follow as individuals. The Apostle Paul wrote these books to protégés, these two guys, Timothy and Titus, to help them with their role as pastors. They were pastors under his leadership And it's interesting, he was writing from prison in Rome, where he would be eventually executed for his faith. And as as he neared death, I'm sure his sense of urgency ramped up, so he would be totally aware of the need to pass on important leadership principles to these two guys. So Paul had started the churches that these men were leading, uh, and he cared deeply about the men, and he cared deeply about the churches they were leading. Timothy was a Jewish man who had more of a history of faith. He was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Uh, you can see Ephesus on the map here. It's in modern-day Turkey. And there is some great stuff in the book that Paul wrote to Timothy about leadership selection Because leadership is such a crucial aspect of a strong church body. And then Titus was a Greek man who came to know Christ while Paul was starting churches, most likely while he was starting the church in Antioch. And Paul started another church on the island of Crete, and 
he left Titus in Crete to pastor a church that he started there. And I'm sure for Titus that was a wild ride because Crete was known in the ancient world for immorality, uh, just, just a real party place. So Paul is very close to these two young men. In fact, he refers to both of them very early in the letters as he's greeting them as my true child in the faith. He is personally invested in their success. So he writes these letters and hopes to visit them soon. He is rooting for them to do well. And so he's coaching them in leadership because so much is at stake in helping get those churches moving forward in the right way. The dynamic between Paul and these men, if you look at his example, if you look at behind the scenes, what's going on in him writing and uh, trying to help them get moving along, it highlights the values of coaching. And all of us do better with a coach in our lives. And I, I recently read a pretty interesting book. Uh, it's called Trillion Dollar Coach. It's, it's written about Bill Campbell. And it was written by Eric Schmidt and a couple of his friends. And I'd like to show you a video now uh, by Schmidt. Uh, who is, he's being interviewed. He's one of the authors of the book. I think the interview takes place as he's promoting the book. But I'm pointing out these videos because it shows how the Bible gives la lasting principles that cut across all the arenas of life. And I like to show videos that illustrate that, not because the Bible needs to be proven, in this way, but because, you know, it's good illustration. So, uh, here, here's a video where Eric Schmidt is introducing the, the topic and you can read the names of the companies that Campbell coached on video. The sum of the companies when, at, upon his death were worth more than a trillion dollars in valuation. And now they far exceeded that. It's a remarkable achievement for a coach. So you can see the value in dollars of those companies that Campbell coached, uh, the leaders of those companies. Um, here, here's another interview with Schmidt that shows a crucial way that coaches help. Over the years I've received so many different kinds of advice, I don't know where to start. One that comes to mind is to have a coach. Our board member in 2002, John Dorr, said, you need a coach. And I said, well, I don't need a coach. I'm an established CEO. Why would I need a coach? Is something wrong? He said, no, 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 you need a coach. Everybody needs a coach. So Bill Campbell became my coach and has served Google very well. Every famous athlete, every famous performer has somebody who's a coach, somebody who can watch what they're doing and say, is that what you really meant? Did you really do that? They can give them perspective. The one thing people are never good at is seeing themselves as others see them. A coach really, really helps. A good coach or mentor will help you see things that you are not going to see yourself on your own about your life and your approach to life. 
and they will help you be better and get better at life. Coaching is a real shortcut to learning how to handle all the arenas of life, not only in business, but family life, personal growth, handling trouble, and everything else that you're going to face. Good coaches create an atmosphere of love and acceptance, and we're going to see how Campbell did that, but we're also going to see, we have seen already uh, that Paul created the same atmosphere. I mean, these these were his, he considered them his kids. He was pouring into them. He, there was a family love there for these guys. And so he, he treated them like sons. So that kind of atmosphere of love and acceptance, it's crucial because that will help the truth the coach speaks into your life sink in. But you have to choose to be coachable. And if you're going to make the most of it, that's that's just a, a, a crucial thing that you have to choose yourself. Nobody can choose that for you. We need life and ministry coaches just as much, if not more, than a business leader needs a business coach for sure. Because it's going to really help you develop the life that God wants you to have and give. Now, here's some some of Paul's coaching to Timothy that we see in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know, some of us have personal trainers uh, who help us learn how to be smart and the way that we work out so we can get strong and be healthy. Paul says that's that's somewhat helpful. However, godliness is of value in every way. And godliness simply means to live life from a God-referenced viewpoint. So you're you're handling the situations that you have going on in your life and you're thinking about how does God want me to handle these? And as you learn to do that, your character grows and develops as you handle things from God's viewpoint and as you live life in a God-referenced or godly way. So we need, we need leaders who are going to help us to grow in godliness. One of the real values of a coach is that they can help you cut through all the time wasters to focus on the principles in a given situation that really matter. And if you have someone that you're connected to that's trying to help you in life and ministry, then they are able, if they're mature, they've been walking with God for a while, and they're mature, then they they can really help you cut through all the time wasters and all the things that are going to throw you off. And really, it's a, it's a legitimate shortcut to growing. How do you find these leaders? Hey, they're, they're out there. Trust me, they're out there. How do we find them? And we can identify the characteristics of a good leader and a good coach in the qualifications for leaders in the church that Paul is giving to these protégés. Um, he gives a clear profile to both of these guys of leaders to follow. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says this, 
The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, notice this profile weighs heavy on the side of character and a character that comes out in the way we relate to the people around us. Uh, to be above reproach means that you have a pattern of making things right with the people around you when you offend them. It's not perfect. Not It doesn't mean that you've never done anything wrong or you don't do anything wrong, but it means that no one can point the finger at you and say, he offended me and he hasn't straightened it out with me, he hasn't made it right. Uh, the husband of one wife is, it just means to be a one woman kind of guy. Uh, polygamy was a thing in this era of history. And this is a clear guidance that polygamy is out of bounds. And that speaks to loyalty. So that's how I translate that. We need to be loyal people. Uh, nowhere does that show up more than in a man's relationship to his wife. So beyond these, there are a set of skills and character listed. So on the skill side, you see two things. Able to teach. This person needs to be able to teach this leader. He needs to manage his own household well with dignity. Those are the two things on the skill side. And to manage your household well with dignity means that you lead your family in a way that fosters respect. And since the church is a family, what's going to happen is the leader is going to lead in the church the exact same way he leads in the family. And so family is a qualifier for church leadership. And then on the character side and relationship side of things, you see the the leader needs to be above reproach, the husband of one wife, or loyal to others, sober-minded, which means only to show restraint, to be orderly, to be self-controlled. This person reigns in all of their passions and desires and keeps them in check and doesn't let them go wild. Um, they're respectable, they're hospitable, which means to be welcoming to strangers, literally. They're not a drunkard. They don't have a pattern of drinking too much. They're not violent, but gentle. Uh, in other words, they're not pushy. Uh, they don't force people to do what they want, uh, but they're gracious. They're not quarrelsome. In other words, they're not adversarial, but they're cooperative. They're not a lover of money. They're not greedy. And then Titus adds some character qualities as well. 
this, th- those were all from Timothy. Paul adds these to the list he gives Titus. Not overbearing, sort of similar to not violent. Uh, loves what is good, upright, holy, and disciplined. You know, you can only gauge character by taking the time to observe someone's life, and that that takes a while. Therefore, uh, a a church leader, someone who's an overseer, a pastor-level leader in the church, must be a proven leader who is not a recent convert. Secondly, he must be well thought of by outsiders, a leader in the church, Uh, must have a good reputation with the community at large. We put people in positions of leadership in our church body who exhibit these qualities. That's what we aim to do here at Church in the Valley. We want to put uh, these kinds of folks in leadership. And in general, you should choose to follow spiritual leaders who fit this profile. If you follow people of character... You're going to protect yourself against leaders like Jim Jones, who may lead you to drink the Kool-Aid and set you on a trajectory to ruin your life. What you find here is leadership in the church is not about charisma, but it's about character. The list Paul gives Timothy is almost identical, but adds those things I mentioned earlier. It's more relational and character qualifications that Paul gives to to Titus and adds those to the list there. There's a second kind of leader we're given a profile for, uh, and they're, they're called deacons in the New Testament church. And in our church, Church in the Valley, They are lay leaders who serve under staff while they work full-time jobs. In our church life, these are the group leaders, team leaders, others who carry responsibility of leadership in in various ways. And here's what Paul said to Timothy uh, and the list of qualifications he gave for these kinds of leaders. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise also must be dignified, not slanderers, uh, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Again, you see this list weighs heavy on the side of character and relationships. Deacons must be dignified. This word, particularly in the Greek it was originally written in, means that they are appropriate in what they say and do in situations. And their words and actions, they actually fit in the situation at hand, and that fosters respect. So there's dignity that comes out of that. And it also says they're not to be double-tongued. 
And this is literally means to be two-faced, or it actually means to be to speak out of both sides of your mouth. That's the way we would say it today. It means that these kind of leaders, they don't act one way at work or at home and another way at church. They're, they have integrity. Their, their life is integrated in the way that they approach life everywhere in whatever situation they're in. And, you know, notice it says, let them also be tested first. Their, their character must be proven over time as well. Let them serve as deacons if they prove blameless. And blameless is similar to above reproach. Uh, they can't be accused of a wrong they haven't made right. That's the idea with blameless, not that they're perfect. Um, they're also to be have a good marriage, to be the husband of one wife, to manage their children and household well. Uh, you can see similarities. You can also see a couple of differences. The world at large focuses on leaders who are educated, competent, and skilled. The Bible makes a bigger deal out of character while still focusing on competence and commitment, training, and education as needed to do the work that we're doing. So you can see the big emphasis on character and the way that that character shows up in relationships. Paul also gives a profile of leaders to reject. As Christianity started, uh, the churches faced real, constant challenges from false teachers. These false teachers would try to influence con congregations to veer off from the true teachings of Christ and his apostles. And so uh, many of the letters that we're going to refer to in this series, or have referred to, are, are written to combat the teachings of false teachers. And in both of these letters, Paul is coaching his guys on how to identify these false teachers. And as shepherds, they would need to quickly identify them and block their influence in the church body, just like shepherds protect their sheep from wolves. And this is still the case today. This is, we've got to stay vigilant because there's all kinds of opportunities to mix many ideas with scripture and try to teach based on things that are uh, alloys, not the pure metal of scripture. Let's see what Paul says about leaders to reject. 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Basically, the right leaders to follow align themselves with God and the truth in his word, the Bible. The right leaders, in other words, they have an objective source they're drawing on of truth that guides them as they lead, and this keeps them on track over time. There's also a list in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 of people not to follow and the characteristics of those people. Uh, that we shouldn't follow. And you, you can look at that on your own. 
The bottom line is to reject leaders who veer off from the teaching of the Word of God, the Bible. They will lead you toward the speculative and the destructive. And so we avoid them. We need to know the Word of God. We need to understand it. We need to realize or be able to recognize when someone's not teaching uh, the truth based on God's Word, the Bible. So in the books that we're looking at this morning, Paul is coaching his guys to select leaders who will give the church body a backbone and allow for growth in every way. The profile Paul uses here for church leaders should help us choose personal coaches as well. We need coaching from people of character who have good outcomes in their life. They're experiencing life the way God meant us to experience it and live it. With that in mind, I want to show two ways to bridge from the world of the first century to our world. And the first way is to find a coach. You may have never thought of this before, but take the profile that Paul gives us and start looking around your life. Who are some people who could coach you? And pray that God helps you find coaches in the key arenas of life. We need situational coaching in relationships, marriage, parenting, friendship difficulties. We need coaching in our work and career with finances in all practical matters of life. We need help in our walk with God, and we need spiritual guidance for dealing with the challenges of trying to walk with God, and we need we need help, we need coaching in ministry. And so here's a secret to finding the right coaches. Look for people with good outcomes. Hebrews 13, 17 uh, is a verse that gives us a clue to the right kind of coaches to go to. And it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's a real clue. They, the, the people we follow and the people we're getting coaching from should have good outcomes in the arena that we're getting their coaching on. You know, it makes sense to me if I want to be a winning baseball coach. I learn from a winner. In other words, I pay attention to who's having the best outcome, and I go to their clinic. I'm going to learn from them. I, I want to get all the input I can from them. This is the same in every arena of life. If you want to learn how to do relationships the right way, marriage, parenting, friendship, work life, finances, you, you find people with good outcomes. If you want to walk with God, if you want to know how to navigate spiritual challenges and battles and learn how to do ministry, you, you find people who are doing it well and making the right kind of progress in these things. So that's an important clue there that we get from Hebrews 13.7. You can find coaches by taking a look around in your small groups on your teams here at Church Life, in the workplace. We want to get 
get input from people we're rubbing shoulders with every day or every week. We can get help from them, from the ones who are parenting well. We, we will do well to learn from people who are parenting well, who have a solid walk with God, who are making the right kind of progress at work, who are examples of godliness and character. You know, it's, it's very tempting to learn from people at a distance because we can keep them at a distance. And, and they don't see us too close. They don't see our warts and everything going on with us. Um, we either try to learn from people online who, you know, there's, they're totally a long ways off from us. They're totally distant or in a large venue. People like that, they can't know your life. They can't know what's going on with you. But if someone is close by, like a small group leader or someone in church life that is uh, working with you on a team or a boss you work closely closely with that meets this profile, they can really help you. If they're a little further down the road than you or a lot further down the road, they, they can give you some real help in navigating the arena that you're dealing with. Knowing you is an essential ingredient in coaching you because trust is an essential quality of your relationship with the coach. Let's, let's watch this. This is something else that uh, Eric Schmidt said about uh, building trust. So what would happen is when he would come into my office complex, everyone would stand up because Bill had arrived. And everyone expected Bill to go hug them and say, how are you? And he would give them a gift or so forth. Now I understand that this was central to the way he built trust. He got to know the person as a person, who their family were, what their problems were. So when we needed them present, he could, knowing where they were, he could help get them there. If you're thinking, I, I don't know where to start to find these coaches, then I want to encourage you, get involved in church life, and you'll get to know some potential coaches. It will take some time to find them, to develop a level of trust, but you should get started now because the tree is not going to grow unless you get it planted in the ground. If you focus on growing in character while developing competence and skill, you, you're going to grow immensely in life. It, it, is, it is really going to bless you, uh, your life, your ministry, and your work. You, you can't microwave character. It's, it's like crockpot cooking that must simmer. That's why it helps to walk with coaches over time and to take the time to observe what's going on in their life, to know their character, and to see the outcomes of their life. Another important bridge that you may need to build is to change my attitude about coaching. I know at times I've, I've had to deal with my own attitude about coaching, uh, but Eric Schmidt uh, here in a brief clip, he, he talked about the attitude adjustment that he needed to make at first in his relationship with Bill Campbell, who became his coach. Let's listen in on what he says. I visited the company. I became CEO. I, being the arrogant person that I am, said, I don't need a coach. So 
to make the most of the coaching he received, uh, Schmidt had to humble himself first. And you and I will too. We will need to let our coach see who we really are so that they have the ability to speak into our lives. And this makes us vulnerable. But there is a lot at stake in this because picking our leaders is a major decision that impacts the quality of our lives. When we decide who we're going to follow, we determine a trajectory in life that is going to set us on a path to good or harm. And the Bible gives us a tremendous advantage by showing the profile of leaders to follow and leaders to reject. So as I wrap up this morning, like we always do, I want to encourage you and invite you to take some next steps. Here are my suggestions. There may be others that have come to mind as I walk through this message. Uh, but here, here's the first one. Pray and ask God to help you find a coach. He'll help you find one. He'll help you find the coaches you need in the different arenas of life. It may take a while, but take the time to pray. Secondly, admit to God that you've been proud or difficult to coach. Maybe you're in a coaching relationship. It hadn't been easy on the coach uh, that you're being coached by. And so admit that to God. Ask Ask God to forgive you. Set your heart to, to be different and to be more coachable. And then third, get involved in church life in a way that will help you find coaches, good coaches, solid people who will know your life, who will see what's going on with you and can help you. Let's uh, pray. I, I know it's online, but I'm, I'm going to lead us in a prayer asking God to give us uh, the strength to do what he's told us to do this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth in your word that, that always gives tremendous amount of guidance to our lives. And I pray that as you've laid steps to take on our hearts, you brought those to mind. I pray that you would, you would give us uh, the strength and the insight that we need to put these things into practice, Lord. We ask for your help and power in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.